Today we actually begin a new series called What Matters Most, and I'm really excited about this series, and, and I'll, be, I'll be kind of honest with you, I think I need to rethink about how I come up with some of the names for our series, or when our preaching team comes together for the names of our series, we have to rename them because uh, it seems that when I come up to a series that we're planning, somehow it, it comes up constantly in my life in that season. Uh, for instance, when we were in our Advent series last year, it was, uh, things, I, uh, it was things I didn't want, or, or not what I expected, not, not what I wanted. Yeah, not what I wanted. Thank you. And it was not what I wanted. And all I'm thinking is all that season. You know how many people got COVID? You know how many people were online? It was like all of us would constantly say, this is not what I wanted. And I found myself saying it constantly. And now with this series, this question, what matters most, I have literally no exaggeration had to ask this stupid question about 50 times in the last two or three weeks because of crises that have happened in my life. You're sitting in a room right now because we kind of got asked to move from another room because they didn't want to move things. And we're like, what do we do? And it was like, wait, what matters most? We're going to worship Jesus. And I love what Pastor Will said. It could be in a parking lot in the rain. It could be right here. It doesn't matter. We're going to worship. Why? Because that's what matters most. Okay, we'll figure this out. But you got to ask it, right? You got to ask it. About two weeks ago, this question really hit hard for me, to be honest. Um, I had to, to pause, actually, when I was writing the content for this message. I'm in the middle of writing and it was a time I had to go pick my daughter up from, she's hanging out with her friends. And so I, I pause work, I go to pick them up, and on a road that I drive almost daily, I got into a pretty substantial accident. I wasn't speeding, I wasn't texting, seatbelts on, the whole thing. I'm listening to music, I'm worshiping Jesus in my car. And without getting into all of the details, uh, by the time I saw the SUV, I had to decide if I was going to turn into oncoming traffic, a fire hydrant, or a telephone pole. There were no other options at that point, and I chose the fire hydrant. And so my, my baby took it right on that passenger side on the front. And if you know I love driving my car, it's stick, it's enjoyable, it's, my, it's like when I enjoy driving. And if you've ever been in an accident like this, it's amazing how many things can go through your mind in a split second, isn't it? Like, there's so many things that happen. And, and right after the impact had happened, I started with what I believe is the most important question. What, most important, what the heck just happened? And am I okay? Am I okay? I was. No airbags, no scratches, no head injuries. And what's funny is, is as soon as I confirmed am I okay? And the answer was yes. I quickly moved from a place of what matters most to what matters now. You know what I mean? When this happens, like what matters most to what happens now? I, I mean, oh my gosh, I got to call Eileen. Someone's got to go pick up, uh, you know, our kids from hanging out. They got to get home or they're going to be sitting there. I don't want to hear them complain about sitting there. I, someone needs to go get them. Someone needs to call the cops because uh, my car is not coming off of this fire hydrant. I need someone here. Um, I knew priorities, people. I had a tea time the next day, and I felt okay. My clubs need to come out of the trunk. And so I got to get my clubs out of the trunk. I, I didn't get hit there. I, oh, my gosh, I can't forget about the keys. The keys for the truck. Will's going to drive the truck because I'm going away this weekend. I need to get Will the keys. And the things that I thought most mattered now began to flood through my head that they didn't allow me to answer the question fully, what matters most, because it was not only my safety that matters most. I know the other question that you have is, are they okay? 
You see, I didn't, I didn't get there right away. Why? I'm not that loving sometimes. I'm pretty selfish, and that's where I live my life. But I got out because I, I, I did have to reorient. Is he okay? I got out of the car, and his concern was the same as mine. Are you okay? His car was fine. He was fine. Not a, really a tiny scratch on his car. And, and I have to think back as I tried to encourage him as much as I could. I'm not mad at you. I'm not even frustrated at you. An accident is just that, an accident. If you did this on purpose, we have a different issue. That's not what this is. This was an accident. But I didn't get there right away. What concerned me most was now, not the most important thing, but the now thing. And as I think back, I am amazed at how quickly, what do I have to do now overpowered what matters most? What's worse is realizing that this happens in so many different areas of my life that I wish I could hide or shield, but it doesn't. It happens all the time. What's now trumps what matters most. And I'm assuming in this moment, I'm making a pretty broad assumption that you have felt the same thing that I have felt right now. That you have had the now get in the way of the most at some point. And, and if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know, I'm pretty good at focusing on what matters most. Have you ever gone through a week and you know that you have worked your tail off? You know that you've put the time into the things that you're doing. And when the week was over, you could look back and go, I have no idea what I did this week. I have no idea what I accomplished or what was good. Did I make any difference at all this week? You see, if we can't determine what matters most in our life, we will aimlessly wander, doing whatever seems or appears to be most important right now. And if someone were to stop us and say, why are you doing the things that you're doing? My biggest fear is that we would not have an answer for people as to why we're doing what we're doing. And, and, and I don't know what that makes you feel, and I don't know how you think about that, but this is a scary place in life. If you have no goal, if you have no vision, if you have no idea of what matters most, because with no direction and no vision, how will you ever know? How will we ever know if we're heading in the right direction? How will we know? There are so many things, specifically when September hits and it's a new season, that pull at our attention. They pull at our time. Things that have nothing to do with what matters most in our life. And yet... We find ourselves doing them anyway. They just have to get done. And so we end up running down a checklist of things, of details, missing the bigger picture of why we're doing what we're doing. And, and I'm left wondering now, how do we determine what matters most in our life when everything seems to be spinning around us and begging for our attention? How do we simplify our lives to a point where, where we know what we're doing and where we should be going. How do we do this? You see, here's what's great. If you have ever thought something like that, you are not the first person to think that. When Jesus was walking this earth, he was presented with questions like this all the time. And, and this morning, I would like for us to look at a passage from Jesus where he's talking to a bunch of people where they're trying to figure out, so what matters most? What matters most? And so we're going to look at the biography of Jesus written by one of his disciples, Matthew. So if you have your Bibles with you, you could turn to Matthew, and it'll be about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. And Matthew, like I said, he's one of his followers, and um, 
Matthew was a tax collector. We're going to be in chapter 22, so you can get there. Uh, Matthew, when he's writing, you have to understand, his primary audience of people that he's writing to are Jewish people, right? The nation of Israel. So it has a lot to do with Jewish traditions and laws and rules. And you hear things like this that some of the other biographers don't use, but Matthew does. And so as you're turning there, let, let me set up Matthew 22 for you a little bit. And Jesus is in a place where uh, right now it's coming down to the end of his life. He's in the last week of his life. He's in the middle of Jerusalem, and the city has swelled to thousands upon thousands of people for, uh, you know, this giant festival and, and uh, celebration they're having at Passover. And when the city swells, there's basically two sects, or uh, let's just say there's two denominations is probably the best way to describe it, within the Jewish faith that they never, they don't really get along. And so they begin to argue with each other right? They did not like each other. And now Jesus is present in this city, and they kind of get together to realize we may not like each other, but we both have the same enemy, and it's Jesus because he's frustrating all of us. So let's figure out a way to trip him up a little, okay? So this first group, they're called the Sadducees. It's just kind of a fun, fun word. Say that with me, Sadducees. Excellent. You got this. The Sadducees had this um, belief that uh, there was no resurrection of the dead and their afterlife. And, and so the way that they interpreted the Bible was that way. And so they come to Jesus asking about that question, what happens? And Jesus takes the passages that they kind of leaned on to build their theology and says, here's why what you're asking doesn't even matter. And he kind of shuts them down real bad. Now the Pharisees are watching on. And everyone's amazed at Jesus' answer. And the Pharisees are watching on, and they're like, oh, man. We, and the Pharisees had a bigger following than the Sadducees did, right? So the Pharisees took all of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible that we, that we have here, and they took all these laws, and they said, we can help build an ethical religion. And so if we hold to all these laws, like 613 or something like that, different laws, if we hold to all of them, we can kind of measure where people are. And so they had this really high value on good ethical behavior. And now they realize he shut down the Sadducees and made them look like idiots. We can now try to test Jesus and look real good, right? There's nothing better than someone else's failure to make yourself look good, right? That's what the Pharisees are doing in this point. And so here is what it says. Let's pick it up in verse 34 of chapter 22. It says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the, silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Right, this is a great question right here. They've got a high value, 613 different laws that they adhere to, and that's, I mean, I don't know about you, I have trouble remembering phone numbers. Now that I have my cell phone, I don't remember anybody's phone number if I didn't memorize it before 2000. It just doesn't happen. 613 laws? This is a lot to remember. Am I right? How do you know if you're messing up or not messing up? And, and, and yet there's always in any group that guy. You know that guy? The guy who does remember all the rules? The guy who can kind of uh, critique no matter what it is that you've done, they'll figure out that one little thing that you're off on. They've got it all memorized down to the T. You know that guy? Come on, you've been around that guy, haven't you? Yeah, I know you have. We all know that guy. Well, the, the Pharisees have a guy. Actually, they have a bunch of guys who know this law inside and out, and they are ready 
ready to prove people wrong on where they're not obeying these laws. And so they've got this expert in the law. And now they come to Jesus with the question of which commands matter most? Which is the greatest of the commands? And the reason they're asking this and this expert is asking is they took the laws and while they knew all 600 of them or so, they measured them differently. They had some light laws and some heavy laws. And you weighed them out, and, and well, it's, if you sin here, it's a little thing, but if you sin here, it's a bad thing. And, and they were weighted differently. And so what this Pharisee, this expert, the guy, is asking is, all right, so which is the heaviest? Which is the one that matters most important? And I love Jesus' response. He's actually going to be quoting from two books in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and he's going to be Leviticus 19, verse 18. This is what Jesus says in verse 37. Jump there with me. He says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How awesome is this? I just love it. I, I don't imagine Jesus sitting back on the guy says, so what's the greatest going? Hmm. I don't hear any pause. I don't see any pause. I don't find a deliberation. What I see is that he's not sifting through all of these laws. Why? He's got his answer ready to go at all times because it was what was most important in his life. This was what mattered. This is what fueled every decision that Jesus made. It was always on his mind. And so telling people what mattered most was so easy. He sums it up so simply, doesn't he? He just simply says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The most important thing in all of the law that the Pharisees are putting before him, he stops and he simply says, it's not about obedience, it's not about behavior. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. What's the first word that Jesus uses here? I'm not, I'm, give it back to me. Let the people online hear you. It's love. I'm not, I mean, it's, it's simple. It's right here. Love. Love is the vision. Love is what matters most. Love is the primary focus. It is the foundation of Jesus' life. It is what guides every single decision that he made. And the focal point of this love is who, according to this passage? It's God. So love is what's most important, directed at God. The first and the greatest commandment that mattered to Jesus was loving God. Now, I understand that love looks different, and we would all define it maybe a little bit differently. And, and I mean, the way that we would tell uh, a middle school boyfriend or a girlfriend we love them looks very different than the way we would tell our spouse we love them, Right? I mean, I said I love you to someone in high school. That's very different than after 7,002 days of being married to my wife saying, I love you and I can't believe you stick with me this long. That love feels so different. So we, we all define love so differently, but the way we tell a parent before they pass that we love them, the way that we tell our kids we love them before they drive off, the way that we say we love something can shift and change Jesus isn't saying, what I want for you to have is this immature, I love you, you know, I, I love you, from middle school. 
that we say to an infatuation, this is, this is the, the, the love that is so deep, so rich, that it drives our life and is all we think about from the time we wake up. Jesus is, is calling for us to live a life where we love God with every fiber of our being, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And that means that our affection and attention are centered and geared towards God, that our lives are oriented around God, and that our thoughts are focused on God. Jesus is saying the most important commandment in all of the Hebrew Bible that he can go back to is a vertical love that's directed straight towards God. And I just want to be as candid as I can with you right now. This love is impossible to express unless you are in a relationship with Jesus. Because we cannot express this type of love back to God if we have not experienced this type of love in our life. If we don't understand that God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on a cross that we couldn't pay for ourselves, and yet he took our penalty on himself for us. And when we choose to follow Jesus and we say, I'm leaning into you, I'm following your teachings, I believe that you rose from the dead, I'm in. We feel love, not because it's like, oh, this feels good, because we've been forgiven from all our sin, that we have received grace. And in that, we are deeply loved, and that love that we can express back to God is simply what we're seeing. I, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. This is what love looks like. I kind of doubt the Pharisees expected this answer so quickly. Um, and honestly, I just love it. And I think Jesus had it so quick. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind. Right? And then he just stops. And before that guy can jump in and say, well, what about? He just comes up with a, a, a second one, right? And it's like, how do you have a second most important law for you grammar people out there? And English people is frustrating. You can't have two greatest things, right? There's only one. Does that frustrate anybody else? Okay, like Jesus, you just broke the rules here. What's the greatest? You gave two answers. And that's what he does. He's like, you have one, but the second is just as great. And the second he says is, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is probably a bit repetitive, I understand, but what's the first word of this commandment? Love. So it's a love to God, and now it's a love, are you catching a theme here? To each other. It's not about just God, it's about people too. And in this passage, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament again, the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 18. And this is amazing because he's pulling out a verse to say, this is what matters most. And what's kind of funny is, I mean, the Pharisees, these experts, the guy, they know all the rules. But somehow this one slipped through the cracks for all of them because they're focusing on over 600 of them. In Leviticus 16, or Leviticus 19, 18, we have love your neighbor, right? But in Leviticus 19, 19, they would remember things like, right after, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Really? This is what the book of Leviticus is filled with, some of these types of laws. I'm sure the expert questioning Jesus, he knew this law. He knew it inside and out. And, and like the rest of the religious people, it was easy to enforce the laws that they could measure. It's easy to look at this and say, I could look at a field and tell if you're growing corn and strawberries. You can't do that. It's not good, right? We could see that. 
and it's measurable. I could feel your clothes and understand, is this two types of fabrics, right? Are you, are you wearing, oh, if you are, that's, that's sin, you've broken the law. You see, these things were measurable, and now they could be held against you. But love, love is so much harder to measure, isn't it? And if we're going to be honest, it's so much harder to live out. I just think it's far easier to judge our neighbors than to love them. It's easier to judge our neighbors than to love them. And Jesus is clear here when he states that there is a love that, that needs to be vertical, that's directed at God, that's the most important, but, but another most important is directed towards our neighbors, towards each other. These are the most important commandments. So important that every single one of the laws that's found over here, every single one of these laws, all of the prophets and everything they say, you could sum it up in two ways. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. What mattered most to Jesus, what was always on his mind, what he was always trying to get across to people in any conversation, is this about loving God? Is this about loving people? Because now I'm in. And these were the priority. These were the constant things on his brain that he lived out and demonstrated to the disciples. The Pharisees, on the other hand, I, I feel for them because they got caught up in the minutia of every little law that they missed the point of their faith. They missed it. They were so deeply loved and a very loving people, chosen by God who turned into a legalistic religion that ostracized people both inside and outside of their nation it's not that the laws that they held to are not important and were not important for them. They, they were because God gave them these laws because he loved them. It was to protect them, to help this nation get bigger and so that they would be rooted in love. But somewhere along the way, the nation took their eyes off the love of God and the love of each other and turned it to judgment on laws and rules and regulations. What good? And I'm just asking you, today, in 2022, what good is any of this if we don't have love? If we can't love in the way that Jesus has called us, what good is any of this? Maybe a simpler way to put it is what we do isn't nearly important as why we do it. Jesus lays out this simply for his disciples. He lays out simply for the Pharisees. It actually shuts them up to a point where they're so uncomfortable, no one questions him anymore. And, and they tried to trip him up, but it didn't work. And he didn't just say, love God and love people. He lived it right after this, within a couple of days. Jesus is going to find himself in Matthew chapter 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling in prayer with God. Because what he wanted now was different than what mattered most. What mattered now felt different. Let's look at verse 37 of chapter 26. It says this, He took Peter and Zebedee, uh, Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. That's talking about Jesus here. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he went on a little farther. He bowed his face to the ground, praying, Father, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
You see, Jesus was about to understand and know suffering on a level that none of us can physically comprehend. None of us can understand. And, and what he knew was coming, it was a massive pressure. It was happening now. And he didn't hide his anguish, his frustration, his desires in that moment from the disciples or from God, did he? He, he brings his friends with him and he's like, guys, I need you. Because my soul is over. I, they've never seen Jesus like this. And these three guys are walking with him. Oh, is he okay? And his soul is overwhelmed. And then he sits before God and he says, God, what I want now is not to have this. Is there any way now can be out? Is it wrong to want that? No. But it's what Jesus follows up with that shows a life dedicated to loving God and loving others puts what we want now on the back burner because he says, what I want now is for this suffering to pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want now if it doesn't match with what matters most. Your will matters most and I will do that. His life was grounded in loving God and honoring him and loving his neighbor. And he submitted then his life to God's plans, to his schedule. And with that on his lips, he went to the most horrific death possible as the will of God so that all of humanity could be invited into the relationship of a loving God again. Answering the question, what matters most? Is it important for us today as it was for Jesus 2,000 years ago? And the answer for you and for me, it might look different, but whatever your answer is will dictate the why of what you do. It will dictate the why of what you do in your life. And this is true in each of our individual lives. It, this is true in the life of our church at Crossbridge. When you walk into this school, you cannot miss the giant banner announcing what is most important here at Crossbridge, can you? It's on all of our t-shirts that some of you sport. What is most important here at Crossbridge? Loving God, loving people, serving the world. Right? We're, not, we're not trying to be complicated. Seven words, it's really easy. This is what matters most to our church, but not just to our church. This is what we want most and what we desire most for each person who attends our church, who calls Crossbridge their home. This is a declaration of who we want to be and who we are. It's about being, it's about doing, and this idea of like, oh, love, this is nothing new. This is nothing new, is it? Churches all over, like, oh, it sounds like other churches. There's kind of a reason for that. Jesus says it's the most important thing. We should all be doing this, right? This is what it's all about. But let me be real with you. I understand that when this is most important, it will impact the decisions that you make and I make in my life. I could tell you how this has impacted my own story. And, and instead of doing that, I'd like to invite a friend of mine up here to share a little bit with you. So would you just do me a favor and invite uh, Brian Michael to the stage with me. Brian. 
Hey, what's going on? Guys? Hey, man. Um, nice shirt. Thank you. Are they playing today? Uh, they are. Okay. As a Giants fan, we don't play football anymore, so you know. Um, I can give you that. I can give you that. Um, Brian, you've been here at Crossbridge for a couple of years. You came mm -hmm. when I threw a water balloon at you. In yeah, the name of Jesus. In the back of the head at a, uh, an event, and we've been here ever since. Yeah, that's loving people. Um, uh, what I'm appreciative is you have fun, and I love that. When you came to Crossbridge a couple years ago, uh, and I know your story, but what mattered, my question for you simply is this, what mattered most then versus now? What, what matters most? Well, we initially came to the church, and we'd been looking all over the place, couldn't find, we were basically looking for a community that would be good for our kids to get into. We've never been that highly involved ourselves in church. Um, so it was more just doing what we thought the right thing to do per our culture was. Sure. Um, so it was what was good for us now, you know, what was gonna instill good values in our kids. But we got here and he had other plans for us. <laughs> He being um, who, not me throwing oh, water. No, no, no. This was this this came from from God and straight you know straight from above. Um, there's too many small things that came to be that got us involved with the church, uh, not through our own doing. Yeah, so what mattered most pre? It was to you? it was definitely what we wanted. Yeah. Um, it was you know we were doing what what we thought was good and what we wanted, not what God thought. Yeah, and, and when you look at it now, it's been here a couple of years. I've watched you take steps in your faith. Uh, in all sorts of ways. What matters most now? Well, uh, using what we know through the small groups and everything, I've, I never really came to know Jesus personally in my life through all of you and through him. I've come to know him personally. Mm -hmm. I've been rebaptized, uh, you know, through my own choice. Um, just from our small group sitting around my table, uh, Colin and I, we're listening to the, the word and said, you know what, let's do it. We feel like it's what we're being told to do. We read it, we're gonna do it. So um, it's, it's been a turnaround for me and my, my guys on Wednesday and my small group on Friday that I'm part of with my wife. I never wanted to be a part of that, anything like that, but I had people I'll say hornswoggle me into it, but it, uh, it, it definitely was, <laughs> it, it, came, it came down from above, and it was people that pushed me into it, and it was by far the best thing that's ever happened to me. Now, that wouldn't have been your choice. You feel a little bit, uh, I, I like your word, hornswoggled there. Um, <laughs> it's good you're from the South. We'll give it to you. Um, I know that because we've been in, a, in the same small group, there was a season in your, when you started your new business, your HVAC mm -hmm. company, and as you start getting that off the ground, anybody who started anything would tell you it takes a ton of work. And what mattered most, I, I, I saw started to shift, mm -hmm. right? Our small groups saw started to shift. You saw started to shift, but how did you get back from a place where it's not that working hard it doesn't matter um, because it's hugely important. It's a great biblical mm -hmm. value that we all carry, but when work took on what matters most in providing, how did you get out of that focus in that time? Well, I'm a, I'm a do-it-yourself guy. If something, you know, if I feel something's not getting done right or if it's not getting done on time, I try and take everything on myself. And Can anybody relate to that? 
Yeah, there's a lot of amens here. You got it. Look, good. Well, uh, hi, Brian. All right, We're at Crossbridge. Good, good. <laughs> so it, it, takes, it, it takes moments in my life from him and from my friends, my small groups. I can't do it on my own. So I need people to reorient me or to help me see that I'm moving away from things. And my wife is very good at it. She knows when I'm getting too overworked and she'll tell me, you need to go to a small group because you need your guys. Um, and my guy, you know, if, I, if I'm gone for a couple weeks, if, you know, if I text him saying I'm working too much, you know, I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to make it again, my guys will call me out on it. So they're like, all right, well, okay, I guess I'm going tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and you guiltily walk in and then and I, walk, I walk out feeling better than I, <laughs> I have in weeks because what matters most trumps what matters now mm -hmm. um, I, I would just want to say this and as Brian and I have gotten closer I know that we've even gone away like vacation together to go golfing and disc golfing and, and I watched a man who struggled reading the Bible say you can sleep in while we're on vacation I'm going to play disc golf so I can soap and put you know the Bible on on my earphones and go play disc golf while, while you nap and I know you'll read tonight at like three in the morning. I <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a guy that gets up at five in the morning and, and goes and plays. And I listen to my Bible um, while I'm playing. And then Jimmy sleeps till 10. So easy. I'd play two rounds of disc golf, come back and make him coffee. And I would feel better because I would have my time with Jesus. And it's he would have vacation. his at night. So. It's great. <laughs> but all that to say, to think of a shift from what mattered most before. It was what I needed to do and I thought was culturally right for my family and all this to see priorities shift over years. Not all in one spot, but one step at a time saying, it's the community around me that says, I love you enough to bring you back in when you're ready to shift your priorities mm -hmm. and say, we're going to help remind you what matters most. You call us out on those things that matters most. We need each other to do this. So, uh, Brian, thank you. Can we just give Brian a round of applause? Thank you. Listen, the bottom line is this, and it's nothing new, loving God, loving people, serving the world. But I will tell you this, it changes how we live our lives. It reorients us to something different where our schedules change, our priorities change, how we spend our money changes, where our attention goes to changes. The reality is though that sometimes I worry that most of us have no idea why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we going to work? Why, why are we choosing to love our family the way that we do and do what we do with our family. Why are we going to school? It's such a nightmare. I hate this. Sometimes it's just a list of stuff that has to get done. It's what matters now. And I know that there are weeks for me where I am clearly reminded of my passion of loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And when I remember why I'm doing what I'm doing, when I can stay in that place in my mind, let me tell you that every person I meet is no longer a check mark. They become this great opportunity. Every email that comes in, it's not a chore and something stupid I gotta get back to, it's a tool for moving the kingdom of heaven forward. Every receipt, that I have to submit or reconciliation that I have to walk through. It's not just a pain and it's like, Janine, I'm sorry, I'll get it for you. Right? It, it's a way of stewarding the resources that God has given us to accomplish what matters most. When the why powers my week, it looks different. And I need to tell you, I am thankful for a wife, for my kids, for my best friends, for a staff, for a board, and for you as a church that remind me that why we do, what we do is more important than just making sure it gets done now. 
And I need that because just like Brian said, he forgets, I forget. I got into an accident and I cared, am I okay? Not, is the other guy okay first? I need reminders. I like the way that Ralph Waldo Emerson says, whatever course you decide upon, there's always someone to tell you that you're wrong. There's always difficulties arising which tempt you to believe that your critics are right. To map out a course of action and follow it to an end requires courage. Loving God, loving people, serving the world. This is our course. This is who we want to be as a church. This is the church I want to pastor and be a part of. But not just what I want. This is what I want for each of you and what we want for each of you as a church. How, how different would our weeks look if we actually, truly took what Jesus said as priority? Think about it. How different would your workday look? Which question actually do you feel the pressure with most every day? Am I doing what matters most? Am I doing what matters now? Your answer will determine where you are going. I just wonder if we were the church and we were the people that were driven by love. We were driven by what mattered most to Jesus, vertically and horizontally, that it was geared towards people and that love was what defined us as people and to people. This is our vision. It's our dream. It's what matters most. And I, today I'm asking you, are you with us to do this? Because it will cost you. It will. When I asked Brian to come up, it was specific in my brain because I know his story shows a shift in priorities. And I'm grateful that he has a wife who says, you're a jerk, go to a small group. Jenna, thanks. Mine has said the same thing to me. Uh, my kids have even said it. Why are you so mean? You need, is it Wednesday yet? Go to small group. Let me tell you, you need people to walk with you in life because you will get off course. You will forget what matters most. You will do what matters now. And if you're thinking, you're just doing this to plug small groups. I don't care if every person is in a small group if they stink. What I care is that you are in a community that is defined by love for you and so that you can demonstrate it out that when you are in your crappiest times, someone cares for you. And then when they're there, you get to stop and say, let me remind you, you are loved. You will not find that outside of the church of Jesus Christ because we are to, to be defined by loving God and loving each other. We kick off life groups is what we're gonna be moving them towards as we live life together is what we're gonna call them in uh, the end of September. But there are uh, also, I think there's like eight different groups. There's men's groups, women's groups, co-ed groups, our two uh, youth small groups that we have, middle school and, and high school. All the signups are right in the back at the table that's right there at our Next Steps table. Go look at them. There's people back there if you're like, I have questions. Great. They're all different days of the week, different times to help match. But what I'm saying now is that if you're sitting here thinking, I don't have time for that, Jimmy. Cool. What's, what are you doing now that's taking your time? What's the now that's stealing from what matters most? We've moved communion to the center today because Jesus is what matters most. 
and everything builds towards him. And so today, as we celebrate communion together, we do so not out of obligation to think, oh, this is just something we do each week. No, we center our lives on Jesus because this is the greatest commandment. And so we have communion at the center today with um, you know, some of the prepackaged stuff on the sides. It's all the crackers are gluten-free. And if you're at home, you have, uh, if you've gotten communion prepared, uh, thank you for that and for joining us. When Jesus gathered his disciples around him at the Last Supper, this Passover Seder, he held up the, the bread that he had and he said, this right here is a symbol of my body. And then he broke it and he said, broken for you. And we know that that was lived out by Jesus and then he held up the cup that we have in the center of our table and he said, this, this cup right here, this glass of wine represents my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins for all people. For all people. And we celebrate his broken body and his blood poured out for us. But this morning in John 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Today, we make a commitment as we celebrate and represent Jesus and his story through communion that I am in for this. I would be around your table and like a disciple ready to give my life to what matters most, more than what matters now. And so I'd like to pray for us. And then at Crossbridge, we love to do communion, like I said, around the table. So I would encourage us as a church, we're going to come around and you don't have to wait in line. But if you find that there's a place in your life where you are lining up with what matters now more than what matters most, would you take some moment to confess that to Jesus and say, would you forgive me? And when you feel like you're at that place, receive the love and forgiveness of God. And would you come join others around the table, grab a cracker, break it, dip it, or grab um, one of the prepackaged uh, communion cups that we have. And you can take communion off on the side if it makes you feel uncomfortable, we understand. But we do this together, amen? Jesus, I confess to you today that I, I so quickly get detailed into what matters now and I miss what matters most. And while it's a simple thing of moving communion to the center it's so intentional, and I beg you, Jesus, that you would not allow us to be like Pharisees who were so quick to judge our neighbor instead of love them, but we would line up with you, and we would give all that we have to what matters most of loving God the Father and receiving his love and loving our neighbors so that they would understand what forgiving, merciful, sacrificial love looks like. Holy Spirit, we welcome your conviction for the purpose of repentance and receive your forgiveness as we celebrate you, Jesus. It's in your name.